Hey, this is Nicke from Lucifer. And this is Johanna from Lucifer. We just got back from South America. Uh, I played with the helicopters and you accompanied me. I was the Yoko Ono on tour, <laughs> on the Corona tour in South America. We survived and we're here. Did you actually call it the Corona tour? <laughs> no, you just called it now. I called it right. that now, but the thing is that we just barely made it home. We actually got the last midnight flight out of Brazil before they were closing. We everything. barely made it there too. It was the last flight going there as well. Well, before you would have to go in quarantine yeah. for two weeks. So and we came to Chile. That was the first uh, stop. And then had we come a day later, we would have been in quarantine for two weeks in Chile. You had uh, to cancel Argentina. We Argentina went straight to Brazil. Yeah, yeah but... Three out of four shows, that was pretty good. Yes, but then we made it out of Brazil with the last plane at midnight, went for a layover in Portugal, where it was also the last evening before they were closing down the airspace. So we would have been utterly screwed (laughs) and we wouldn't be here with you. But in what respect are you the Yoko Ono on tour? Do do you feel like that? Uh, Not really. It's more a joke of mine. Because uh, I accompany Nika to... Uh, well, since we are together to all of his shows, uh, we have a great time being on the road together with Lucifer or with his fans. Not to talk shit about Yoko Ono, because <laughs> I think she gets a little bit too much um, um, negative remarks in the music world. And I think that's undeserved to whatever you think of her body of work, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of hers, actually. Yeah. Especially, what's it called? Walking on Thin Ice. You know, the disco song that she did with... John Lennon on the day that he died. The I, very no, last recording okay. was this oh, disco track called Walking on Thin Ice, which is sort of, it's very moody, but nice. I, but how, I think I missed that. Yeah, me too. So were there a lot of uh, people with um, like mouth protection on, on the plane and everything? <clears throat> it was very different from airport to airport. It was extreme. It, it was a lot when we arrived at the Chile Yes, we had airport. to actually go through a medical, like a quick examination. They did everybody's temperature who came in. Everybody had to wear masks and you had to fill out some forms, you know, where you've been, etc. But yeah. then uh, when we came uh, through Brazil, it, it looked pretty normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the airports were fairly empty. But uh, you oh, do yeah. see, in general, you see people with masks, but not as extreme as in... It's funny how you listen to music for decades about the world going to hell and destruction and Ragnarök or whatever, and then... And writing about it, too. Yeah, yeah writing about <laughs> it or singing about it or, you know, listening to songs about it. And then things actually start to, you know, head that way. Yeah, it's not as cool as in the songs. No, because it's invisible. You don't see anything. No, it's just really weird usually it's about the horror in people's heads and um it's funny because our album that just came out um of course uh, we had no idea that it would come out during a time like this uh so i saw quite a few like social media comments of people saying oh this is like the perfect soundtrack for this uh but you could probably say that for many albums oh yeah <laughs> joanna you're from berlin and you're the only original member of the band Lucifer, which you started after the breakup of your previous band, The Oath, right. which was also a Swedish-German collaboration with the guitarist Linnea Olsson. Mm-hmm. 
So what kind of music did you set out to make when you started Lucifer? Well, I mean, the oath was already summing up a lot of um, musical influences, um, you know, stuff that I'm into. So, of course, Lucifer isn't something completely off uh, that kind of path. Um, but I guess, you know, when you uh, write together with somebody, in that case, it was Linnea, so it was all combined tastes. So um, Lucifer, when I sat down, okay, now I'm going to do this band, um, it was, well, my part that was already in the oath, basically uh, times, you know, three or whatever. I, so I could do whatever I wanted to. And the idea for me was uh, to take all these different influences, but especially with a heavy weight on influence influences on the great bands of the 70s to take a bow at them but also you know include like i grew up with heavy metal and then um have doom in there etc i mean you still have all these ingredients just in a different uh, percentage of the singular parts you and linnea kind of felt like sisters in the oath because you looked exactly the same <laughs> yes it was it was really crazy the first time we met it was we were uh, we got together because i got an email from henke palm um was in ghost as well right in the he early was days. in ghost but back in that uh, during that time he was in in solitude and i was a local promoter in berlin i put on small shows like in solitude and also ghost before the first album came out etc uh, and he wrote to me because I had just uh, founded that um, that idea with a drummer I got together, Vincent Wager, a New Yorker who lived in Berlin. And I was looking for a guitar player and Henke wrote to me, I know this Swedish girl that just moved to Berlin. And um, we met in a bar and we looked at each other and it was uh, bizarre. We had the same bangs, long blonde hair, black leather jacket, you know, she was... We were both, I think I was wearing a Venom shirt and she was wearing an Angel Witch shirt, you know, tight black jeans. It was like uh, we were dressed up together. And then we talked about music and after an hour already it was like clear that we should play together. Now we are listening to Nosferatu by Blue Eyes the Cult. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A track from 1977, and it's basically a retelling of the story in Friedrich Murnau's movie Nosferatu from 1922. Yes, with a German twist in it. <laughs> Deep in the heart of Germany. Deep in the heart of but Germany. That's what they sing. <laughs> Why well, they are Americans. So. Uh, Europe, it's all the same. Speaking of Nosferatu, I've always wondered what happened to Friedrich Murnau's head. Why? You know that someone stole his head? Oh, yes, About I fi- know. Five I years know ago, that. someone stole the head of the famous yes. German movie director Friedrich Murnau from um, his grave in, uh, it's in Stahnsdorf, yes. in s- south of Berlin. That's a beautiful wow. cemetery. It's the fourth biggest cemetery mm. in Germany. It's a forest cemetery. Um, and we actually shot uh, the Israel video for oh, Lucifer so on that cemetery. That. Okay. It's it's huge. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I actually went with my mom on a walk there once. Mm-hmm. And there was um, a beautiful old crypt from the turn of the century. And it had um, these uh, like almost like window slits in the, in the side of the structure. And one was uh, boarded up, but the board was kind of sawed open. And my mom and I looked through and flashed our cell phone in and there was a huge tin coffin and they had um, cut out a square with a metal cutter and you could actually see the tip of a spine. So somebody must have stolen a skull from there as well. Did you do it? No, it wasn't me. With your mom? <laughs> With my mom. You, know, you don't have to tell me. You can just blink if you did it. <laughs> yeah. won't tell Nobody anyone. can see it. <laughs> you know, I, I wonder where, where that head might be. Wow. You know, it must be some horror-obsessed movie collector who has it in his DVD collection or her DVD collection. I wow. think that's horrible. I mean, I am the owner of few human skulls. <laughs> But I certainly didn't dug, dig them out. So, uh, they are from very old, old medical... Uh, yeah, yes. No, um, they're from very old medical collections. You can buy them. I got them gifted. <laughs> so anyway, you fell in love over your mutual love for the Blue Oyster Cult. What, what makes well, it wasn't the... only that. But oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what makes them so special? I don't know. I, th- I think for me, it's one of those bands you, you know... You hear Don't Fear the Reaper, and then you hear Godzilla. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then you realize Don't Fear the Reaper is a really good song. And then you listen to the other stuff, and it doesn't sound anything like it. Well, they're very quirky and odd, and they're kind of outsiders. And maybe at first glance, you think, oh, they have like five killer hits, and then the rest are kind of fillers. 
that was my very first impression when I was younger. And then you get yeah. into it, and then uh, now I love everything. Yeah, and it's also funny because they try to, I think they try to label them as the American Black Sabbath for a bit there, but it, it doesn't sound anything like no. Black Sabbath. And they're not not really that heavy even. <laughs> it's it's kind of, because they have, there's still some 60s in there. I don't know if it's intentionally or not, probably not. And then they have this weird producer. I guess it's just because Sandy they're children Perlman. of their time. Yeah, but then this manager, producer, I'm my, this is just my guess that he like wrote some lyrics and because he did and like you have to be mystical or whatever. And my feeling is they probably went okay. And but it's a cool shtick, the whole cult thing. And yeah, and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, which is really cool. She's as beautiful as a foot. How's that for a song <laughs> title? And. And these like transmaniacon MC, what the hell does that mean? It's awesome. Yeah, but they're having fun with it. Joan yeah. Crawford has risen from the grave. Yeah, there's so many facets of Blue the Cult that, I mean, I like the pop stuff, like Don't Fear the Reaper and Burning For You, but they also have really weird and quirky, yeah, I don't know. And then it's, it's not only the music, you have the whole image well, the of the band. the visuals is awesome. <laughs> They look really weird. But very cool. So for how long have you been a couple now? Three, Three and, and a half, half years. years. And you got married last year? 2018. No. 2018. Mm. How, how was the wedding? It was uh, pretty it was, spectacular. <laughs> it was great, but it was also in that hot summer in Sweden, <clears> you know, where there was rain three days or whatever. So it was extremely hot. And uh, But it was awesome. It was so hot that um, Nika's dad fell off a chair and his mom had to leave early because everybody got drunk very fast because the, of the heat. I mean, I guess um, we're not used to that. Well, we had a lot of uh, friends playing. Uh, yeah. Nika was singing for me because the night. Yeah. And because we had Howlin' Pelle. He was because or, the night by Patti Smith and yes, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Yes. And Howlin' Pelle was doing or he was our priest. He was our priest. And was this some kind of occult ritual? Yeah. Yes, of course. We had a virgin and um, uh, we sacrificed a child <laughs> on an altar. I'm a, my mother. It was not so occult, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, we had, a, well, we had a very private ceremony at first. Um, and from there we took an, an awesome old timer out to this country house and where everybody was waiting and Which we was were in, greeted uh, with smoke and um, electric guitars oh yeah the, <laughs> Boba and Passion they played the what's that called the, the wedding, wedding march march on electric guitar yes <laughs> pretty cool. and then lots of live music and no it was great Pella dressed as a priest it was great girl I can understand how it might be to love a guy like me I don't blame you much for wanting to be free I just wanted you to know I loved you better than So this is TV Do What You Gotta Do by Clarence Carter It's my own fault for what happens to my heart You see I've always known you go Now you just do what you gotta do my wild and sweet love 
Whoa, this song has been sung by Nina Simone as well. And many others. And Kanye West sampled her version. Oh, really? I didn't on, know that. Uh, one of his songs. It's no wonder I didn't know that. Kanye <laughs> West? <laughs> Kanye West, has, he has a song called, called Famous. Okay. Ah, okay. Where he, um, he samples the Nina Simone version of the song. And she, he, I think he lets Rihanna sing like the first verse uh-huh. of this track. I had Only no the idea. first verse. Okay. No, nothing more. Not the chorus or anything. Just the first few harmonies. I have to check that out. Part of you they'll never, never see Is the part you shown to me So you just do what you gotta do My wild and sweet love well, Who's Clarence Carter? Uh, well, when I got into soul music um, I had no idea how to embrace that whole genre it was like a new world opening up for me uh, i just bought albums that i thought looked like they were good and i think i bought clarence carter he looked well, he had sunglasses and uh, he looked he had sat there we get a guitar he looked like a blind blues guy uh, i later learned that he was blind and uh, it just looked like a good record and it was from 68 or 67 which i also found out that that's the perfect year for me when it comes to that kind of music and usually i was looking for the more upbeat rockers but this song somehow it just it it touched me it's probably one of the saddest lyrics i've ever heard and from a what the probably millions of sad songs but it was something about this and also i i really loved the song so i checked out all the other versions the nina simone version and there's like a million people done it but not no one has it's something in his voice that just connects with me somehow and it just feels even though the song is sad to begin with but he just makes it even yeah i don't know i wish i could write a song like this You did send it to me in the beginning when uh, Nika was serenading me by sending me songs (laughs) when I was still living in Berlin. Mm. That was one of them. I I have a really awesome playlist. Yeah, (laughs) you did a special playlist to get attention. No, I I just collected. Yeah, song by song with every email. How about this one? And I just collected them in a playlist. Nika, you were born in Albu, I think. Uh, Salem. Salem. That's where I was born. Salem. In 1972. Mm-hmm. And most people know you from bands such as The Helicopters, Entombed, Imperial State, Electric, Death Breath, The Solution, The Hydromatics, Super Shit 666, Leadfoot, Nihilist, The Clint Eastwood Experience, Corrupt, Shubnigarot, Demon. Nobody knows that. Blasphemy, <laughs> Sons of Satan, Maximal Scandal, Brain Warp, Parody, Brain Dead Bodies, The Breaking and Bells and Barnum. I'm not too sure yeah. about that last name. Bells and Barnum. Who were they? <laughs> uh, that was me, Kenny, and Benny. Kenny, who played bass in, in uh, the helicopters, too. And, uh, yeah, that was one of the... It wasn't really a band. It's like when we wanted to be But a it band. It seems as if you like being in bands quite a lot. Well, if you put it that way, yeah. <laughs> what else is there to do? <laughs> But yeah, you, that's you, what you, I do. You've basically been a cornerstone of the Swedish rock and metal scene for 35 years more or less 30 maybe 
does the kick that you get out of music now differ in any way from how you felt when you started? Uh, that, I would say yes and no. I mean, the excitement levels are maybe not as high as, but they just different kinds of excitement. Ah, you levels, get very excited when you have an idea. Oh yeah, but but like maybe the first time I remember when Uffe from Entombed and me went to the post office and got the first Entombed album. I don't think anything will beat that when we put the needle down on the, you know, the. Yeah. I mean, how can you top that? You can't. Uh, and then the next one, that's cool too. And then you kind of get used to it. And yeah, you have to keep reminding yourself that it is actually as cool as the first time. But once you do that, you can, you can get closer to the excitement level, I think. But uh, yeah, because you, you start taking things for granted, uh, and uh, which is not a good thing. But I think that's easy for anyone who keeps doing the same thing. You're like, yeah, this is what I do. I saw her today at the reception A glass of wine in her hand I knew she was gonna meet her connection At her feet was This is You Can't Always Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you might find I remember Donald Trump using this track for his presidential campaign and no. Mick Jagger said that it was, you know, a very odd choice because it's about doing drugs in Chelsea. <laughs> That's like uh, playing Born in the USA, <laughs> you know. Yeah, didn't <laughs> Reagan the, try to, you know, get yeah, that yeah, one too? didn't get the message. <laughs> Why did no. you pick this song? Um, this song... Um, is my mother's milk. My mom is a huge Rolling Stones fan, so that is the earliest music that I grew up with. And my mom used to quote the um, the, the title of that song when uh, there was something that I wanted as a child. To, like, kind of mocking me, you can't always get what you want, and I was getting upset yeah. about it <laughs> as a kid. But there's so much about this song. Um, I love, this is one of my favorite Stones albums. Uh, actually, we had it's on Let It Bleed. Uh, it's Let It Bleed, yes. It, it, and oh, we had with a cake and um, the cake that's made out of a film roll and a tire and so on. And that was actually our wedding cake. Oh yeah, we did that. <laughs> we had it was expensive, but yeah, it was totally we, worth it. We had it made. It <laughs> you made the actual Let It Bleed wedding cake for Not your us, wedding, but a professional cake We, we had cake a professional maker. cake maker. Really? Make yeah. it? Yes, it looks awesome. Spectacular. It was awesome. What, what a spectacular idea. <laughs> So, um, <clears throat> no, and the song kind of sums up my childhood for me emotionally because my mom loved the this, this song and um, it kind of, it, it starts very holy with a child choir singing, but then it's the stones. I mean, how holy can it get? <laughs> but uh, me coming from um, my, my mother's side of the family, um, there's a lot of pastors, uh, 
my grandfather had a very high position in church. He got Martin Luther King to East Berlin and all that. Um, so my mom growing up in that very um, Protestant family, but my mom then when she was a young woman entering the GDR outlaw scene of the Rolling Stones fans. <laughs> uh, so that song kind of sums everything up. You were born in East Berlin, yes, nineteen seventy nine. So you, you mm -hmm. grew up in East Germany for a few years. For a few years, my parents were uh, political uh, enemies of the. <clears throat> they were opposed to the GDR government, so we applied to leave, and they granted it. Within a year, we were able to leave East Berlin to go to West Berlin. They were glad to get rid of us, and uh, when so was that again? in eighty five. So 85, I was yeah. six when we went to West Berlin, mm -hmm. uh, and I. Luckily, didn't have to go to school in East Berlin uh, in that system. But I was allowed to, um, when we lived in West Berlin, my mom would bring me to the border. And on the other side, um, I was allowed to pass through as a child. So on the other side, my grandmother or my real biological father would pick me up so I could spend my summer holidays or whatever vacation in East Berlin. So I was able to pass through. So, so what did your biological father do? He was a photographer. Okay, and he left before you did no, no, he was in East Berlin. Oh, so he, okay. he, he, he remained yeah. in East Berlin. He, while he my mother. Okay. Yes, he stayed behind. So, um, yeah, so when we were living in West Berlin, I was allowed to visit East Berlin. It's funny, you know, that song, you can't always get what you want. That could have been like the national anthem of East Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Most people didn't get what they wanted. <laughs> exactly, yes. Do you have any memories from East Germany and you know yeah, I time be before the wall came down? Yes, I remember it very vividly. I mean, the wall came down when I was 10. So, well, also my family was very affected by the whole um, GDR establishment. You know, my stepdad was in jail for trying to flee the GDR when he was 23. And he, t he tried to escape in an inflatable boat, right? Yes, yeah. yes. He went with a friend to the, um, to the Baltic Sea up in Germany and um, they got off the wrong bus stop unfortunately with a <laughs> inflatable boat under their arm and the cops stopped them where are you going you know and that meant one and a half years jail really and yes wow. no no it was very hard a lot of young men in jail that tried to flee the GDR um, you know got tortured a lot of them killed themselves because it was unbearable harsh the circumstances un under which they were jailed and in my family, there's many cases of people that escaped in trunks of cars and, you know, people being pulled in for negotiate for, for interrogations all the time. Um, it was pretty brutal, everything. So I grew up with all these stories around me, you know, so um, and I do have a lot of memories. So that makes me feel like an like a dinosaur sometimes. <laughs> To have been there, you know, because if you explain to kids nowadays, there was a wall in the middle of Europe. I mean, it's hard to grasp that, you know, because it seems now far back in history. I've been to the East German Museum in, uh, in Berlin. It's it's quite interesting. But sometimes when, when I go there, people from the West are, you know, laughing so hard. But mm -hmm. They find it so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you see people who, who, I'm not sure if they were East German but some people seem to take it a bit more seriously and they actually get depressed when they see 
the old packages of you know food and you know how how you couldn't get you know more than one type of coffee or whatever yeah i mean those things i grew up with that was normal for me when we moved to uh, west berlin i was in shock i had a culture shock from everything you could buy And so we started to travel all over Europe, you know, because now we were free. I had my, I got a Walkman and a Barbie, you know, but I, I mean, I grew but up with little people made stuff themselves a lot, but you don't know uh, what you're missing until you get, get it shoved in front of your face. You know, I thought everything was fine when I was a kid, but the suppression of people, you know, the, that you're not being able to be free. My brother, who's 11 years older than me, he was a punk. And he, for example, because he was a punk and because of the background of my family with the church, which was also opposed to the government, he was not allowed to do um, um, to study. So they forced him to learn a regular job building roofs. When we moved to East Berlin, my brother there was allowed to finish school then he started studying physics then he became a doctor in physics and he concluded that with the best possible um i don't know what you call that in english but um Great, um yes something that got him denied in the gdr yeah. because he was a punk mm. you know and the unfairness and to, to yeah. be suffocated by yeah, a I system guess that's quite a difference being an outcast here Mm -hmm. and there no that was dangerous to be an outcast it was dangerous to be into rock music you couldn't get a record you, they were smuggled into the country you yeah, know and it's My, funny because these are just stories that we hear about and kind of not laugh about but we think it sounds funny but yeah, I bet it wasn't funny you when couldn't you were there. buy like cool instruments people of course not you couldn't buy cool clothes my mom used to sew bell bottoms in the 70s mm -hmm. for for you know, for herself and her kids and so on. It wasn't available. This is the Brogues with I Ain't No Miracle Worker. I've never heard of the Brogues before. Who were they? I don't know anything about them. It's, uh, you know, when the Nuggets box set came out. Oh, it's out. on the Nuggets box yeah. set. Okay. Um, so There's a garage rock compilation from... Yeah. With 60s rock. Yeah, exactly. This is the song out of that, all those songs that still stands out to me. It's one of the best 60s garage songs I've, I've heard. But it, this song is just amazing. And how the chorus, they take it down in the chorus and then they go full blast. Uh, yeah, an amazing fuzzed out guitar solo. And yeah, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just, It kicks my ass every time I hear it. Selling a little? 
or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Joanna, you mentioned that your big brother was a punk and you became a metalhead. How did that happen? <laughs> well, I guess everybody tries to find their own niche, you know. So my mom was like a big Stones fan and my parents had like ZZ Top, Deep Purple, I don't know, Roxy Music, Velvet Underground, all that kind of stuff at home. A lot of 70s rock. And my brother was into punk and first he made me these mixtapes uh, that was my first music, I think, was like, but there was also like Public Enemy and Run DMC on that, everything that was like kind of hip in the 80s. But uh, so I guess I needed to find my own um, niche, you know, to escape to, and that was heavy metal. I know that you went to see Guns N' Roses at the Olympic Stadium in Berlin in 1992. Was that like a big game changer for you? Not a big game changer, but I was. Uh, it was the first big rock show that I went to. Yeah, they had... Faith No More and Soundgarden supporting them. I still have the ticket to mm. that. And then it was Metallica the same year. And the third thing that I saw was Danzig. And Danzig were the ones that kind of dragged me over to the dark side, you know. The dark side. <laughs> the dark side. That's when I had my first cross and I broke off the tip. So I turned it into an inverted cross. And <laughs> Thanks, Danzig. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great article about... Lucifer, your band, in the latest issue of Sweden Rock magazine, written by David Noakson. And there are two pictures of you from your teens, Joanna. One is from when you were 14 and you look kind of grungy with blonde hair and a tie-dye t-shirt. Mm. And then there's another picture from like two years later when you were 16 with black hair and a dark throne t-shirt. Yes. Looking really, really, really satanic. Is it that shirt even that you have in the coffee cup there? Oh, you're drinking from a dark throne coffee... It's cup. probably that. Yes. <laughs> I didn't bring the cup, though. <laughs> no, but you got handed it to you. How did your, you know, family and friends react to you turning to the occult? 
I think my my parents are so liberal, so it wasn't really. My parents were more like, yeah, yeah, that's just a phase. I mean, uh, it'll pass. Yes, my entire room was black. I had a black carpet. I painted the window frames and door frames black and put black velvet all over the walls. And yeah, it was a transition, you know. Yes, of course, when I started the mentioned shows Guns N' Roses Metallica that was the beginning of it two years later I was completely into death and black metal and a little doom and so on um, and when you're a teenager uh, I guess you really want to identify with one way you know uh, luckily that opened up more again <laughs> with becoming older um, no it was I, I remember I had a friend she was uh, she and I got into metal at the same time but she was polish and her, her mom was very catholic and um she took her i don't know she had a d-side legion cd and a shirt with a pentagram she threw all that out the window and she was my first friend that i could go to metal shows with so she kind of dropped out at that moment because her mom had her tight grip on her um so which your mom didn't have on you no no <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting how, you know, when you're a teenager, your views are quite rigid, you know, yeah. you, you need to follow. If you're in a subculture, it's very important that you follow certain rules. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, speaking as <laughs> you a think you you know, prominent member of the Swedish death metal scene, Nicky, you must have seen a lot of things like that, too. And if, yeah, the funny thing when you look back is that those rules change every day, kind of. I remember, I think that... The, The one thing I remember is that, uh, you know, we never bought the same albums, you know, because you, you know, one of your friends bought this album, then you put it on tape and then, you know, so you, you never trade it. Yeah. But uh, uh, one of us had the first Testament album, which is a really good classic thrash metal album. But it couldn't have been like more than two months after that release. It was like the uncoolest thing to have a <laughs> testament album. What are you into testament? Like, are you are you a, you know are you into pop or what? <laughs> It was really so, so that important. was after you got into like death, death metal, metal. Yeah. darker stuff. Yeah. It's so it's like splitting hairs, but it was yeah, very important. Because first you were into Motley Crue. Oh before <laughs> that. Yeah, that's probably the same year. <laughs> And and then I you know, I do remember I had that uh, I told you about that I had this. Um, you showed me a cool picture of you where you kind of emulated Vince Neil's look. Yeah, Fred Espy from this member. <laughs> he he was gonna be Nicky Six. He went to the hairdresser with a picture and came out, and I was so impressed. He had this. <laughs> he looked like Nicky Six, and oh, oh, I can't do that. I don't have dark hair, so I went. I became Vince Neil. Well, that's what I did. But then on the I had the C90. We had Motley Crue on one side, and but I had Celtic Frost on the other. So that I think that was the turning point. There's and a uh, book called Blood Eld Död by Ika Johannesson and mm -hmm. John Jefferson Klingberg, where you talk a bit about how important it was back in the 80s not to be a poser. Oh a yeah, that, po that was poser all... was the worst thing you could be. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was worse than being a Nazi or child molested. A poser was the worst. You <laughs> could mean, you, not be a poser. <laughs> there is a great quote by you in this book where you say that a, pos a poser was someone who didn't have enough demos at home or a T-shirt with a band logo that you could actually read. <laughs> or you could also risk being labeled a poser if you washed your hair too much. Yeah, too much. Yeah, or if yeah. you spent too much time with girls. 
Yeah. yeah. Which wasn't a problem because there were no girls. <laughs> coming <laughs> And I, I know everyone wished there was, but there wasn't you didn't say that. I was gonna loud. say coming from people who yeah, probably couldn't <laughs> Yeah. It was you know. <laughs> and it's no it was very important. So I think you, I think what you did with the hair washing, it's like if there was a show or just hanging out by the lamppost with a ghetto blaster, which is probably what we did the most. Uh, you washed your hair like four days before that, so you have the right look. Yeah, so it yeah. looked like all. Oh. But do you still worry about being a poser? No, no. Uh, I know I'm a poser, so it's nothing <laughs> I can do about it. <laughs> now we embrace our <laughs> yeah. poserism. It's funny. It's funny that you know heavy metal sh should use that term because you know there's few genres <laughs> exactly. where people pose so incredibly That's much. That's all as we in, do. <laughs> <laughs> And it doesn't. What's the difference between a hair metal band like Poison and a death metal band? It's the same amount of posing. <laughs> It's just different. This is "Long Distance Winner" by Buckingham Nicks. So this was Stephen X and Lindsay Buckingham's duo before they joined Fleetwood Mac. Yes. And this album is not on Spotify and it's not available even on CD. Yeah, it's a shame. It, because it's never it, been re-released. It's really a shame because this whole al album is very beautiful. It's There's not one track, I think, that's losing. It's it's really beautiful. And while I'm a big uh, Fleetwood Mac fan, um, I know it's not the right thing to say. You know, if you're cool, you say I'm a... Peter Green era Fleetwood Mac fan. I love Peter Green as well, but I'm especially fond of the 70s uh, Lindsay Buckingham Stevie Nicks era. And um, before they joined Fleetwood Mac, um, they had their project when she was still working in diners and he was writing songs at home. That was their first album that they recorded. I really don't get why this is not um, circulating more. Beautiful album. Go try to find recordings of it. You sent me this album, mm -hmm. and uh, this is the song that that's uh, stuck out to me. Yes, I that's really my favorite. Like it. mm. And it's funny, I think, because I'm not a. I mean, I've heard the hits and everything, and now I know more about Fleetwood Mac than I did before we met. And but hearing this album and it's pre Fleetwood Mac, it actually sounds more like Fleetwood Mac than. The stuff they were doing before uh, these two guys joined. So uh, I think the impact both Stephen X and Lindsay Buckingham had on Fleetwood Mac it was kind of big. It was big, though. You yeah. can't deny Christine McVean's no, no, songwriting. Absolutely not. But it's just the way they sing together and everything. Also, and the thing that they were they were a couple. That's true. And I then, didn't even so there, think there were like two couples in Fleetwood Mac, and then yeah. they all broke up. <laughs> Um, yes, and they recorded their <laughs> yes. biggest hits, Rumors. Did you know that Stevie Nicks also had an affair with um, um, <laughs> Mick Fleetwood? I didn't know that. Yeah.
But do you write songs about each other? Like about your relationship? And Oh, that's funny, because since we met, I haven't... I've written a lot of songs together with you. Yeah. But I haven't written a single lyric. Same here. Since we got together. Same here. But I think for me, the reason for this is that Lucifer is kind of dealing with dark topics mostly. You know, and, and, and lyrics are a great way, a great tool to kind of work through stuff you have to kind of come to terms with and so on. Thing is, I'm so in love with Nika. You know, if, if I were to write a song that is about Nika, it would be a love song. And that might be too sappy for Lucifer. I'm still waiting for it. <laughs> sappy or not. We're embracing you know the poster Nika, thing here. Nika, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a side project. <laughs> Where it's <laughs> where where's, all songs are about the sappy you. love song. <laughs> Maybe you could like combine it. But oh, I'm so in love with you, baby! I want to sacrifice you on the altar and drink your blood. That's a very good idea. Exactly. Where is it? <laughs> Do some people assume that you're hardcore Satanists because of your band name? No, well, I think people are disappointed. Um, I well, just. I, Do you remember going back to when we had that? eight or nine hour talk in Berlin. I had I, one of the first questions that wasn't about Blois the Cult. I asked you, I was curious about Satanism. I what did, did ask you ask me? No, I was probably just being like, Cocky. hey, so, so how's the Satanism? How, how hardcore is it? And what did <laughs> yeah. I say? <laughs> no, then we started talking about that, uh, yeah. you know, and it wasn't a, like a one minute answer because I don't have, I never had any... I just thought everything with Satan and blood and everything was just awesome fun. Yeah, that, That's why I was interested. Well, what I can say about me is that when I was 16, I sat down in front of my mom and I declared that I really am a Satanist. <laughs> and Sorry. <laughs> exactly, that was her reaction. <laughs> she laughed. <laughs> of course, yes. I would too. If <laughs> it's just a phase, you know, uh, a phase. I'm 41 years old now. It's a pretty long phase. No, but um, I think nowadays um, it's more of a metaphor because the devil stands for all things fun, you know, and everybody, the Stones had that in sympathy for the devil and, you know, dancing with Mr. D. It's like all the great things you're not supposed to do. You know, that's what the devil stands for. Um <clears throat> I would never take stuff too literal. Although I do have a little bit of a yearning, wishing that ghosts and vampires and, you know, um, everything that's unexplainable, if if that would exist, I would think it's awesome. I know that you were in this really dark band called Winterkrieg, a Swedish <laughs> band, when you first came here, when you would cut yourself on stage. That seemed pretty hardcore. Well, it wasn't um, that. Just, that like was how, posing to. No, that, of the, course it's posing. That's what I everyone mean, I, did back then. <laughs> I, I did really get cut, you know, that one time. Um, um, I had a very good friend who would bring Swedish death metal bands to Berlin for shows in the mid '90s. Um, he's dead. He was my best friend, um, and he had. Amon Amarth play in front of, I don't know, 20 people when they were still more of a, when they weren't into that Viking stuff. <laughs> 
yet when it wasn't so um uh, well i don't want to say anything but anyways uh, he said well um he introduced me to these two guys martin mendes martin lopez um who played in Avon Math back then uh, and they told me they have the side project in stockholm called winterkrieg which is a kind of death slash black metal band and they wanted a female vocalist for a recording that they were going to do um at um the abyss studio and they had a singer rasmus who is still a friend of mine and uh, but they wanted these yeah you know back in the day sometimes you had like this female ornamentation like paradise lost did that in the back in the day and um Yeah, so that was my first paid gig. I got a fax with an offer of 2,000 Swedish crowns <laughs> to come to Stockholm and record this. So I went two weeks That's to... That's not bad, hey, money -wise. I still have that fax, yeah. but it's very bleached out. But yeah, I came to Stockholm and we went to uh, Ludvika and recorded five songs in five days. And then we played one show in Stockholm. Did you cut yourself on that show? Or was yeah, that, that was the yeah. only show I ever played. Oh, okay. After that, that band <laughs> broke up. <laughs> Do you still cut yourself on stage or was that just a face? Uh, no, but maybe uh, it's time to... <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> That's severe posing. <laughs> no, it, I mean, it was, it was severe posing back then. They had bought a block of pig blood off the market and we were standing in, in the kitchen of Rasmus' mother trying to um, melt that blood and fill it into plastic bottles to have it ready frozen? for the stage yeah and it was like impossible it was a huge mess and rasmus mother was about to come home from work and <laughs> I, i can imagine that scene <laughs> that never got released because that band broke up uh, i still have a cassette tape of it this is cheap trick with way of the world Is this from the Dream Police album? Yes. Their most successful record. Maybe it is. I, I think yeah, so. It's, it's funny with Cheap Trick because they were so they were so massive in the 70s, but still it's not a band that people talk about that often. You know, if you compare it to like the Ramones, who were mm. very, very small back then. Yeah, I know. It's it's uh, yeah, it's a little strange. I don't know. I, I just love Cheap Trick. And I mean, I grew up with uh, Kiss. For some reason, I had the original cassette of Dream Police. I had barely nothing else. I had one Alice Cooper album on cassette too. And that's kind of what I had. So later on, like, like recently, I wondered why did I have the, that Cheap Trick album? Because it didn't make sense to me. And uh, well, then I went through, well, There was this book uh, about the uh, Swedish poster magazine, Poster. Because that yeah, was... Po poster with the big uh, yeah. posters in it. Because I... Well, when I, when I uh, grew up with Kiss there, I, that I had all the issues of that magazine. Because you could back order it for like uh, 10 crowns in a stamp. Uh, so I had all that. And then went through the book. Because uh, obviously now they're all gone. And they're worth a lot of money, those... Uh, ma magazines so there was a tiny little uh, feature like a half page which is still pretty big because the magazine was big about cheap trick 
And this is so nerdy and <laughs> and very specific. But there was a picture of Bon E. Carlos with Paul Stanley's boots from the Love Gun tour. They actually toured with them on that. Uh, they opened up for Bon E. Carlos is the lead singer in Cheap Trick. No, he's the drummer. The drummer, okay. The, the weird banker kind of looking guy. Oh. So he had the shoes, Paul Stanley's shoes with the chains on from the Love Gun costumes. And that probably, that's what I guess, that, that's what made me ask my mom to get me a cheap trick out. And that's why he was, was wearing Paul Stanley's exactly. boots. So that's how the, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Um, well, it makes complete sense. You, you were a super hardcore Kiss fan. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, I thought, that's what I based every all music of that it started with kiss and it ended with kiss i don't know it's a, a, as blue as the cult they're kind of quirky that i mean sometimes they lean towards almost aor type music mm. uh, which can make me cringe a little bit because it gets a little sappy and and polished but they also have this weird i wouldn't say new wave even it's just quirky riffs and it, it's like odd Kind of like Blois the Cult, even though they don't sound anything the same. But that makes it really interesting, I think. Uh, I read that you, you lived in Los Angeles for some time and you worked as a singer for commercials. You actually did vocals for like commercials for Maybelline and makeup brands. What was that like? Uh, well, um, it was actually great because I made so much money with that. Did it pay better than Vinterkrieg? <laughs> oh yes <laughs> I used cool. to pay way better than Lucifer does <laughs> and you didn't have to cut yourself either exactly yes no uh, I mean most people don't know this about me and I'm not like in particular proud of it but it's you know it was a job I knew a British guy who was um, recording and writing songs for big advertisements on TV and, and that wasn't only makeup it was everything you know Mercedes, McDonald's, whatever is on American TV. And um, usually they have a company is looking for a particular kind of song for a commercial spot and has several songwriters pitch songs to them. And if you're lucky, your song gets taken. And then you make a lot so of money. So you wrote songs for them as well? Not, no, no, not me. Oh. Um, so the guy that I was working with, uh, Adam Longland, um, we I think he asked me for four songs and two scored. And of these two songs, I made... So much money that I became a Screen Actors Guild um, um, member of, like, talent of screen, it's called. Uh, I got, like, a SAG card, and it was awesome because I had just kind of landed in L.A., and uh, I was working at a film production office as a production coordinator, which was very stressful, and I was a single mom with a, you know, little boy. And in L.A., you know, when, when you're a single mom and you're in your 20s, like, they don't cut you slack, like, here in Sweden or in Germany. Like, you have to work your ass off to make ends meet. So that was really awesome that those checks kept coming in. So, yeah, I did a few of these things. I did a few voiceovers. Um, Which songs got picked? Are they songs that you can find on YouTube? I'm not sure if I want people to hear that. <laughs> it's, you know, because they ask you, okay, we have a song which is a Kylie Minogue ripoff. Can you sing like that? Sure, I can, you know. Uh, so then you do that. Ah, it's not n nothing that you really need to look up. Cold late nights so long ago When I was not so strong, you know
Tom's Magic Man by Heart. Magic Man by Heart. What do you like about Heart? They were I two sisters, love, right? Yes, Anna and Nancy, Nancy Wilson. I love them. I love 70s Heart very much. They were not very popular in Germany. so uh, Not here either, were they? Not really, no, but they were massive in the States. Yeah. Yes, massive in the States. Um, so it took some years until I discovered them. And then I was like, holy shit, beautiful. You know, a very cool rock, a very talented women. Um, I mean, that's my favorite uh, Heart song. That's the one that made me fall in love with Heart. And um, if you look at old footage, there's some really cool uh, TV performances of them playing Magic Man. Is that where the bass player has like a... Qu like a top, a little a top? top? Yeah, yeah, they have, they have funny <laughs> outfits. I think they were, because they were based in Canada, First, even though the sisters are American, but uh, they went to Canada and oh, yeah. one Anne had a boyfriend there and they kind of found it hard there. I think that's how it was. So they had the, like Americans always thought Canadians are not quite as cool as the Americans <laughs> in the 70s. You know. Back in the 90s, I used to work at a music magazine called Pop, and we did this thing in one issue where we invited rock stars to compete in a special pop quiz. Um, and you were one of those rock stars, Nikke. Mm. And your yeah. total score was 9 out of 20. Which oh, was that's not good. Which, pretty good. I, I think the singer Orup came in at number one, along with Kent Norberg from mm -hmm. Sator and Elizabeth Pansy from Whipped Cream. Um, Why don't I remember this? Well, you, you came in fifth. Anyway, I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to ask you the same twenty questions today. Yeah. Twenty-seven years later. See if I if I gain some knowledge or yes. not. And, <laughs> and also now you have Johanna to help you a bit. Okay, uh -huh. I'll try um, myself first. But some I... of these questions are a bit dated because oh, obviously you know some of the bands have split up. Uh, but you'll probably be able to answer anyway. My so. my only goal here, or my ambition here, is to to score better than Orup. First question: Which group has a songwriter called Martin Gore? Depeche Mode. <laughs> name four songs with a girl's name in the title. Layla. Um, oh, I can take one of my own songs. Uh, Leanne, Christine 16. Peggy Sue. <laughs> Peggy Sue. <laughs> okay, great. One point. Who's the lead singer in R.E.M.? Michael Stipe. Michael Stipe. Great. Which vehicle is connected to Bob Dylan's unexpected accident on June 29th, 1966 near Woodstock? It's a motorcycle, but I, I'm yes. not sure what, what 
Triumph. Which, which vehicle? Like a motorcycle. Okay, so gives, it, gives it, one point. it doesn't okay. have to be Triumph or... Yeah. Which American rock artist and ex-truck driver was born in Tupelo on the 8th of January in 1935? I, don't, I only know one, but I'm, not, I'm doing the math here. But is it Elvis? Yes, it is. Yeah. What do people usually call the Beatles' classic album, The Beatles? White album. Yes. What's the name of the drummer in Skid Row? Oh, uh, come on. Any, any, <laughs> any drummer in Skid Row will give you a point. <laughs> that doesn't make it easier. Uh, fuck. I can't uh, okay. help you we'll, with that. We'll move Sorry. on to the next I, question. I okay. have no yeah. idea. Uh, but I bet Orup didn't know that one either. But uh, actually, some of these questions were specifically written for oh, like the artists. God damn it. So he never got that okay, one. Okay, I take that as an insult. <laughs> Next question. What's the name of the drummer in Morbid Angel? Well, that'd be, be Pete Sandoval. Right, you are, sir. What's the name of the drummer in Gore? In Gore? Yes. Ah, no, I don't know that. But in fact, it's probably a hilarious name. Gizmak Dagasha. See? What's the name of the drummer in Megadeth? They've had four other drummers since 1993, so. But I was never a Megadeth fan, and that's because I wasn't a poser. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. I don't know. What's the name of the drummer in Metallica? Lars Ulrich. What was the name of the drummer in Pontus och Americanerna? I have no idea. That's a very 1993 question, because yeah. that's an old, forgotten pop group. I have no idea. What's the name of the drummer in this member? Fred Espy. Which famous American record producer sang and played in the Chicago group Big Black? Steve Albini. And these are the same questions. The exact same questions. Okay. <laughs> Name two compilations with the American hardcore group Black Flag, please. Compilations? It's kind of a weird question. I didn't write these questions myself. Uh, no, I don't remember. Okay, well, move on. Name three singles by the American girl group The Runettes. Oh, I always mix them up. It's, um, uh, no, I'm okay, sorry. Okay, well, we'll move on. <laughs> Which famous American record producer married one of the girls in the Runettes? I feel Spectre. Yes. Name 20 songs by Black Sabbath, please. 20? 20. Okay. Well, Black Sabbath, NIB, Ferris Wear Boots, Iron Man, uh, War Pigs, Planet Caravan... Um, Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, Sabra uh, Cadabra, uh, Fluff, Killing Yourself to Live, Hole in the Sky, mm, Dirty Women, um, Johnny Blade, <laughs> Mob Brews, Disturbing the Priest. How many is that? You have five more. Five more, okay. Uh, Zero the Hero. Uh, National Acrobat, uh, Under the Sun, Children of the Grave, Embryo. <laughs> That's it. Excellent. Who was Pete Best? Pete Best. That was the first drummer in the Beatles. Excellent. <laughs> Name three groups or artists who have collaborated with Camilla Henemark, or La Camilla, as she calls herself. Entombed. Entombed. Mark. Does Army of Lovers count? Yes. There was this scandalous project from Gothenburg. Scandalous project from Gothenburg. Okay. You actually knew that back in 1993. Maybe it was on the news around... Yes, then. it was. 
Susie Beats Them All. That vaguely rings a bell. Yeah, they did a show with um, strippers or like prostitutes giving blowjobs on stage or something. And that was... Aha, it was one of these, you know, attention... Yes, and she did that. Thing. Wow! Uh, no, she, she she didn't blow anyone on stage. Okay, she was, <laughs> but she was involved in the concept or or the project. I, or I think somehow, yeah. Okay. Anyway, you, you scored thirteen out of twenty now, oh, so you it. more than doubled your points, and you beat Urup. Yeah! <laughs> I wish I had more points. So now I'm curious about the Ronettes. What are the be my baby. Oh yes. Yes. Or yes, the, the best course. part of breaking up. Or um, I should baby, know. I love you. Oh yeah. I should know that because the Ramones. Yeah, they they covered. Yeah, on this. Baby, on I love century, you. Century. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we kind of. I'm I'm really sorry, but we need to get going. It was a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> it was a total pleasure having you here. Thank you so much, Thank Joanna you. and Nikki from Lucifer. Tusentak. Good luck with everything and stay safe from viruses and things like that. We you will. too. Thank you. Do me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Podcasten producerades av Daniel Bäckström för Leon Media, Nicke och Johanna från Lucifer för Hemmalslagen. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey,